for me, particularly working in journalism, I'm always like, almost everything comes back to that. Like, we've got lizard brains that aren't really good at dealing with complicated problems, really creaky old institutions that move really slowly to regulate anything, and just this unbelievably powerful tech that we keep improving on an exponential growth curve. Yeah. Our brains aren't getting any better. Our institutions aren't getting any faster. No. But the tech keeps getting faster. Yeah. Yeah. And then that feeds back into this kind of terrifying loop. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and welcome to our guest, Finn Hogan. Great to have you on the show for the first time. Absolute pleasure to be here, Paul. What, how lovely is it to have a slow conversation with you, not me frantically chasing you around the country trying to get <laughs> sound bites for the evening news. What a change of pace. It's Yeah, it's been an interesting last few weeks. Maybe you can fill listeners in on what, what you're talking about, where you fit into this big wide world of, of media in New Zealand, Finn. Yes, I work for News Hub. I've got a few hats there. I mainly work for News Hub Nation, which is the politics and current affairs show, but I sort of cover tech more broadly for the newsroom in general. So do a bit for 6pm news, I do a little bit for the AIM show, and occasionally I'll pop up on project. So I like to say I've got an interesting Venn diagram of content of like, RMA reform and dense political issues and video games and tech. So there's like 10 people in the country who are like, I love tax policy and PlayStation and I hope there's one journalist out there that makes content for me. And I do. And there's like five people who love it and I'm here for that. That's good. Well, they're all they're all listening today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fitz, they're all here. So, uh, cool, to, cool to catch up and some interesting stuff to delve into today. Uh, before we start, though, I want to say a big thank you to our show partners, uh, Vodafone, Two Degrees, uh, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology. Yeah, we're going to sort of cover a whole bunch of stuff, some sort of aerospace type stuff. Tesla uh, doesn't seem to be able to keep out of the news, the gaming sector, artificial intelligence, some, some work that Microsoft are doing on the voice front. Boy, there's actually quite a bit here um, and a bunch more. I probably don't want to say all the topics in case we actually don't get through everything. Uh, but let's jump in. First of all, one of the companies that we've uh, that we've talked about in the in the past is a drone startup that actually sits within Alphabet or Google, as we some people would more commonly sort of refer to them as Wing Aviation. There is now Wing Aviation NZ Limited. Mm-hmm. So we don't really know the full story of what that will look like. Uh, just yet, but the fact that there's a, a New Zealand legal entity suggests uh, something's going to happen. So, what would you picture might happen? They've been doing their deliveries in, in Australia, testing out some some stuff there with uh, DoorDash, and I you know think they've done some some supermarket type deliveries. And the the name Wing sort of gives away a little bit about their drones in that probably um, you know somewhat reminiscent of. And not entirely, but the Whisk uh, Aero, who were you know testing in New Zealand with their um, vertical takeoff and landing craft for for air taxis, you know, autonomous. Um, but of course, these are these are taking food and bits and pieces uh, around. 
I think, yeah, I think it's definitely going to start at that smaller direct-to-consumer level, right? It's going to be small parcel delivery. That's the way that you show the proof of concept. And Amazon's been quite far ahead in the space for a while. So, yeah, I think it's really only a matter of time before we start seeing those really small sort of niche of products being delivered straight to your door by a drone. And, of course, that's going to be a, a big moment just for the average Kiwi, I think. It's one of those threshold points that, oh, my God, a robot has just delivered my groceries. We Oh, this the future has just happened to me. And I think that's very good from a business and from an investment perspective of even if the logistics in the back of house uh, of the business aren't as impressive, what's customer facing is just so mind blowing. And I think there's going to be a real sort of first mover advantage to whoever gets to be the company that normalizes that for Kiwis is going to be huge. Obviously, there are a lot of thorny issues to navigate there. You mentioned with Whisk, there's been I think some issues around the regulatory frameworks for how do we actually scale that up in New Zealand? Yeah. Uh, what does it yeah. mean from an aerospace perspective? Yeah. And I think uh, other jurisdictions, particularly in Australia, are a little bit further ahead in that work. So I imagine before it gets very wide scale, there's probably a lot of work that needs to be done in Wellington. But like I say, I think we're, we're very, very close to at least a few Kiwis just seeing that whizzing drone land in front of their door, which will be a huge, an amazing moment. Obviously, the, the, there's so many questions around noise pollution and everything else. Uh, but yeah, personally, I'm very excited. Like I say, it feels one of like those the future is now moments. Mm. Yeah, we've seen you know like Uber come into the market mm. and and it's changed things. I mean, this is one of those disruptive categories if they can get there, but it's. It's been challenging, right? We've been talking about this stuff for yes. a lot, a long time, and it hasn't normalised anywhere yet. Yes. So the 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 gaps and the, the the challenges, as you say, you know, the the regulatory sort of you know government legislative side of it is is important as are you know filling in those other gaps. But the fact that they you know they they they're doing this and and so on, you know, with the trials like in Queensland, um, and that they've you know. They've they've set up this New Zealand entity uh, is 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 encouraging from some perspectives. You know there are always other perspectives when new technology comes along in terms of what does it do to you know employment and 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 oh and right. so on, absolutely. Right? And I mean I think I'm more excited about just the the, the slightly more prosaic, but the the delivery aspect. I think that's much more likely to come. The air taxi vertical takeoff and landing. I mean that's another one that's been around for decades at this point. Someone's been talking about that and. Personally, it's one of those that is incredibly glossy on an investor pitch. But when you really sit down and think about it, I'm not sure where the practicality is, is in that at all in terms of actually moving passengers. I mean, even Uber's quietly sort of just abandoned the Uber Lyft sort of side of the business, right? And I don't think – we're not Dubai. Like, we don't have the market for someone – moving themselves in that way for the kind of cost that it would actually incur. And if the logistics of small drone delivery are a nightmare from a regulatory perspective, the regulatory framework on actually moving human beings via drone is just a next level. So I can't really see that coming. Could absolutely want to be proved wrong, but less excited about that one. Yeah, look, I, you know, both have a fair bit of interest but it, it it is kind of odd that the drone delivery side hasn't got a, a little bit Further along, so really curious to see how it lands. Um, but it's one of those things. If you were, you know, we're ten years out, and we could easily have sort of crossed that threshold where where it's just you know super common in, in certain you know scenarios. But 
you can imagine if it, if it went nuts, like you know some things in terms of adoption, then you get all sorts of other issues, right? Drones crashing into drones and things sort of falling out of the air. Like it's fine when you're doing one or two sort of sample, yes. you know, sample scenarios. Um, but yeah, if you've got craft that are that are you know crashing in the air, and let's let's not forget that um, you know helicopters, as we saw in in, in Australia very recently. Um, yes. You know, hit, hit each other. You know, to this day, uh, we well actually where we were at our previous studio looked out on where there had been a an aeroplane and a helicopter crash in in, in Auckland. Um, you know, some some years ago. So uh, you know, having all these things just oh, you know, work perfectly, absolutely. autonomously. There's uh, you know, there, there's there's definitely some. Uh, some work, although those are certainly aren't uh, insurmountable challenges. Oh, and from us, I mean, and this this is probably a whole other kettle of fish that we probably don't want to open. But the security concerns around widespread adoption of cheap drones and the airspace concerns, and we saw you know, when Gatwick Airport got shot down, uh, shut down by a drone, and the potential for mischief and worse than mischief to be done with drones as they become more advanced, more accessible. Uh, that's an issue that's been bubbling away under the surface for a long time, but I think if they get more widely adopted from a corporate perspective, that's only going to usher along the other issues that could come with wider consumer adoption as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, that is is quite a can of worms. Um, Tesla dropped their prices, New Zealand, Mm. Australia, China, sort of, you know, a bit over a a week ago. Now they've dropped prices in in the US on quite a big scale, you know, 20% 20% in some cases. So now you've got when you when you discount that much or adjust pricing that much, and and Uber have been quite dynamic, shall we say, when it comes to their their vehicle pricing, like nobody else. And because they they own the entire you know chain, so it's you know you compare it to say Toyota, who have gone through some processes to sort of standardise pricing and purchasing in markets like New Zealand and and how that works. But you know other other automakers where it very much comes down to what a you know what a dealer wants to do. You don't you know with Tesla you don't have dealers sort of sitting on yes. stock that you have to you know that you're going to please or displease because because they own the whole lot. Mm. But when you do a, a, a you know a huge price change like like what they've done. Uh, you you ruffle some feathers, and that seems to have happened in, in in China last week, and then more recently in the US with people that have just bought vehicles and found, oh, my vehicle's now worth ten, yes. twenty thousand, ten or twenty thousand uh, dollars less than uh, than what they what they paid for it. You can expect a few people uh, shaking shaking their fists a little bit, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's almost like Tesla's trying to distract from some other things that potentially are going on <laughs> higher up in the business. Uh, look, it's, it's never a great sign. And I think with Tesla particularly, they've got such a aura of the luxury electric vehicle. So there's an extra consideration when you knock off a chunk of the price that way, you devalue the luxury element of the brand in some respect. Of course, you shunt it down the price chain, you open it up to a wider group of consumers. So I think in a, in the broadest sort of macro sense, it's a, it's a good thing that more people can get into Teslas, whether it's, you know, from an environmental perspective particularly. But I do think it is symptomatic that Tesla is facing, like so many other tech companies are currently, and automakers in general, are really facing not quite a crisis, but a, a really serious drop in the stock price. I mean, it was nearly a trillion dollar tumble in uh, NZ terms over the last 12 months. And obviously, 
feel like stop the watch, Musk has come into the chat, you know, <laughs> like any any kind of tech chat, Elon Musk sort of looms large in it. But of course, the 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 chaos that surrounded him, it's hard to draw a direct causal link to the troubles that Tesla are having, but you'd have to be an idiot to not say it's not contributing to it, that the drama with Musk at Twitter is sort of making shareholders more nervous about the way Tesla is being run. And I think wound into this as well, which is very recent, is the uh, viral footage of the five, eight car pile up uh, from the autopilot. The, what, do you, what do they call it? The full drive autopilot. Full, full, full self-drive. Full self-drive, which I think from a PR perspective is just a stupid thing to have named it because you're just really putting yourself out there that if anything goes wrong, it's entirely on you. You're t- completely taken out of the hands yeah, of the driver. Of, of course, all their materials say you've got to, you know, you've got to pay attention, you've got to, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And but that doesn't fit into a headline, right? Yeah, all yeah. people of hear is the not. full self-drive yeah, fails. Yeah, uh, yeah, or autopilot. Or, fail, exactly. You know, yeah. And yeah, I and no one was seriously hurt uh, in that in that pileup, but it's really damaging to the brand. And I know Elon Musk has said previously that the reason he's pushing so hard for this is that that self drive option is the difference between ten years down the line, Tesla being worth a trillion dollars or Tesla being worth some money. Right? He he really sees that as the thing that defines Tesla's future because as they sort of lose their first mover advantage in the market, other electric car companies are catching up with them. Well, just like car companies in general are pivoting so hard into electric. You've got to give credit to Tesla for having done that. Mm. But slowly the rest of the world is catching up. Tesla is running out of lead and they need something to kind of push them out ahead of everyone else. They think the full self-drive is it. But when you see headlines like this, I mean – it's not going to do them any good. Uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. We love to be head of Tesla right now, even discounting everything else that's going on. But yeah, uh, it's a it's it's a worry, and the, the 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 price discount I think kind of just feeds into the broader Tesla narrative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it will, uh, I'm sure we'll hear a little bit more about that particular uh, scenario. I think it was back in was it November or December yeah. that it happened. It's just come come through the footage and. Uh, it's been been fairly widely uh, widely shared. One one of the uh, things that we don't know is why did this car come to a complete and utter yes. stop? Like, you know, did the person fall asleep? Were they not well? Was there you know was there a bit more to it? Mm. Who knows? But as you say, the you know the the videos gone around, the headlines, it's 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 damaging. Now, I was looking at um, you know why they're dropping. Why is Tesla dropping these prices? And they've put prices up. In, in the past, and there mm. were yeah, people seem to be buying electric cars at an incredible rate. If we went back to in the direction of mid last year, maybe you know in the March June somewhere in there last year, if you were wanting to order a Tesla in New Zealand and, and some other parts of the world, you could easily have it a sort of a nine month you know time mm. wait, right? Those were the those were the dates ever to the. the the time periods advertised. Now, if you go to the Tesla New Zealand website at the moment and you pick um, a, a uh, Tesla Tesla Model Three, uh, you will see if it's a, if it's this sort of you know standard range vehicle, the availability date for the you know standard standard configs are all June. Uh, sorry, are all January 2023. Mm. Like, we've never seen that with Tesla before. So that says to me they've got 
a whole lot of stock yes. just sitting there in New Zealand mm. waiting for people to order it. Like that's this really is this is like what? This that's not how Tesla works. You order, they build the machine, and then you know the the vehicle, um, the the iPad on wheels, whatever you want to call it. Mm. But they build, you know, they build them, and then you know they they ship them. They ship them out. Um, so this is very unusual. And even with the, uh, no, they've dropped the the long range model, um, brought down the price of the performance a little bit. So it's not so far off probably what the long range was. But now you've just got the rear wheel drive, or what used to be the standard range uh, plus, and the performance model. So a bit of a change there. Um, even with the performance model, uh, basically it says estimated delivery Jan dash March. Um, 2023. Mm. So, which suggests that you know they've got some of those sort of just just kicking around as well. Um, so, I f- I find this, yeah, really really fascinating in terms of how much things have changed in a pretty short space of time. And I'm I'm really curious what's the what's the long range uh, impact of. Uh, Musk's involvement with Twitter and him just getting a bit more political because, you know, very, very easy to, you know, basically alienate a very large percentage of your potential buyers. Mm -hmm. And uh, if that has indeed happened and Musk has alienated half his potential buyers, um, I imagine then a lot. The, the future of uh, the future of Tesla is going to be uh, going to be pretty grim if that's the case. Well, totally. I mean, if he keeps down this route, I mean, there's a lot of Teslas not being sold in California now. I imagine any kind of deep partisan state in the US, yeah. where yeah. his name is really tied to certain political ideologies. Increasingly, I imagine he's really hurting his brand there. Uh, so yes, I, I but I don't think it's a hot take to say Musk hasn't done himself any favors in the last <laughs> couple of weeks. All right, now on to, on to other topics. Um, the gaming industry in New Zealand. Mm. Now, we're, we're in this situation where we've had a, a very strong uh, gaming sector in New Zealand and you, you, you could say that, look, Kiwis, uh, you know, when you look at how well New Zealand ha- has done when it comes to the film sector, and to gaming, that it that this is really a reflection of the creative talents of Kiwis, mm-hmm. but of course, there's there's elements in here that tie back to you know how good we are at monetizing these things, how much government gets behind and and helps a particular um, segment, and um, recent information out um, you know the last last. I think it was probably in end of last year was highlighting how our um, gaming industry actually earns more there's a third more uh, than the gaming uh, sector in Australia. So you know we're producing some really good you know creative content uh, in the form of uh, of video games and we've been in this leading position but the tide is starting to turn, isn't it? We've got, we've now got challenges because Australia, you have a scenario where the government are offering huge incentives, um, you know, along the lines of what we've seen in, in New Zealand uh, to Hollywood, where we've said, hey, come to New Zealand, 
and and produce your you know your TV series here, your movies here. Uh, we're gonna give you we're gonna give you big rebates for for doing that. Um, and and that seemed to have worked out pretty well for New Zealand, I've got to say. Um, but there are you know up until depending recently, on I'd d- say, depending yeah. on where you sit on on the political you know spectrum in terms of your your viewing of of that. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a range of you know a range of opinions whether you know ideologically it's something that we shouldn't do, you know through to you know we just must keep doing that to you know to to be competitive on the you know on the global stage. And now we're kind of in that same. Uh, same position when it comes to gaming because we're we're seeing you know game developers that are in New Zealand basically you know someone's saying uh, as as you would if you had um, you know if you were uh, based in Australia and trying to encourage people to uh, people to move from New Zealand to Australia uh, and and even you know the game developers themselves being enticed. Uh, across exactly. to the Australian shores, so it's not a, it's not a great position to be in. I guess the question is, how do you deal with this? Because there's no sort of perfect answer that's going to please everyone. Well, no, I, I think one of the things that frustrates people in the gaming sector is that it was such an avoidable problem because we saw it coming from a long way away, and it's yes, not like a new yeah. thing. True, we've, true. We've been the gaming sector has been. I've I was speaking about this years ago when I started at News Hub about one of my first. TV stories was about how the gaming sector had sort of fallen through the cracks. And I think the contrast with the film sector is a really great example because we gave Amazon, what was it, about 400 million in tax rebates to film one season of Lord of the Rings here. And then they left. And so they basically just took all that money with them. And I think the cost-benefit analysis by anyone's metric was pretty dire. A fraction of that money could have been transformative for the gaming sector here because the, the, the costs for startup are a lot lower than a giant Hollywood production. I mean, look at Grinding Gear Games in Henderson. That was two guys, graduated, founded that studio. Yes, it did scale up quite a lot. They did get investment in, but it the startup cost for it wasn't enormous, and they ended up selling to Tencent for 200 mil, I believe. And that's an incredible success story, but that's just one of many. You've got Rocketworks. You've got mm. unbelievable work being done in New Zealand, and it's all sort of in spite of government, not because <laughs> of government help, right? And I I just think it's such a low-hanging fruit for investment because it's a frictionless export. There's a, there's a limit to how many cows you can cram per hectare, but there's no upper ceiling on code that you can export, right? So all of the usual tyrannies that face the New Zealand economy don't apply to video gaming. There is just no limit to the amount of code we can export, minimal environmental cost. It's the largest entertainment industry on the planet, 350 billion. It's surging year on year. So I just feel like there are just so many wins in that column. And when you look at Australia, up to 30, 40% R&D tax credit, meaning you'll get 40 cents back on the dollar if you found a uh, a gaming studio in Australia. I don't want to paint with a really broad brush here and just say it's an entirely a good thing and we should completely follow that model because depending on how you do it, you can just incentivize massive corporations to set up shop and just earn money back without really injecting too much money into the local economy and sort of crush smaller indie devs because depending on how you write those R&D tax incentives, you can make it actually out of reach for just those small sort of plucky businesses and game studios that we might want to encourage. But overall, I think the thing that everyone agrees on is that we have to do something. Uh, I just think there's a bit of a lack of political will and clarity in New Zealand. I mean, 
as I mentioned, I've got a bit of a crossover between tech and, and politics, and so I spend a bit of time in Wellington. And and it's not like anyone is anti-tech or anti-gaming. Every no. politician likes to say that they support tech and gaming. Yeah. It's just the, the devil's in the details with these things. And I think responsibility for it's always been quite diffuse. So you've got, you know, the re- the economic development minister, you've got the digital economy minister, Oh, then you've got a minister for trade and the, the portfolios diffuse responsibility quite far. So the science and tech and innovation portfolio. And so it doesn't really f- squarely fall on anyone. Uh, digital economy is usually the person that you go to. But I mean, last time we had David Clark on our show, he made a lot of noises about, oh, well, yes, this is a, we're definitely working on a plan. Not a lot has come of it. I talked to Claire Curran when she was the minister. Oh, gaming's fallen through the cracks and, oh, and still nothing's really come of it. So I think... It's partly because, frankly, I mean, this sounds really blunt, you've just got a lot of 60-plus lawyers in, in Parliament. You don't have a lot of people from younger generations really connected to the tech space or the gaming space in particular. And so they may not have as much accessibility to it, may not as much understanding. We briefly flirted with getting a chief technology officer, Derek Hanley. That didn't go anywhere. So I feel like there isn't that voice, that lobbyist uh, in Parliament making noise for these kind of things. Uh, but yeah, I think the sad thing is, since the gaming sector's done so well for so long, there's also not as much incentive from Parliament to do anything because they'll say, well, hang on, you guys have been growing double yeah. digits every year. Yeah, You're f- fine. Sort of 50% sort yeah. of in- increases year on yeah. year, right? So um, but why yeah, should we do anything? You, th- you throw, the, throw that lead yes. away if not careful. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. So really good. Good points there, yeah. and look, I, I think we you know we probably need to uh, delve in, in a future episode more to yeah what what needs you know what needs to what needs to change and um, you know it, it'd be great if there was a a lot more transparency in government around you know what are their goals what are they you know what are they what are they working to. Yeah. You know, like if everyone could see, okay, well, on all these different, you know, and and I know it works in business, doesn't necessarily work in government, but you know, these different metrics, okay, yep, we've got these different areas. Here's the goal of what we what we want to achieve. Here's what you know, as a gov- the government's going to do to try and you know help those things you know happen. Um, you know, if we we had that sort of level, but of course, it's uh, it's not. It's not that way, and it's not that it's not that simple, and and things are are constantly changing. But yeah, we'll probably dedicate a, an episode to delving a, a little bit more into that because we're in an election year. So you know, it doesn't hurt sometimes to 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 prod a little bit and to uh, so, to put some ideas out there. Uh, you know, whether it's for the government, current government, or whether it's for an op- opposition and and other other parties. Uh, and to uh, to maybe see what gets what gets picked up. So yeah, absolutely. And I think, unfortunately, this was a really big part of Judith Collins' platform when she was national leader. Then obviously, when uh, she was ousted and, and Luxon took over, I think there will be an unfortunate element of the politics of it all that say National did get in might not be as much of a focus for them because it was such a plank of Judith Collins' portfolio. I can imagine Luxon being like, well, let's not just rehash Judith Collins' ideas. Let's focus on my ones, which are much more sort of bread and butter. Let's look at the backbone of the economy sort of ideas. And I don't know. We, we haven't seen it. I can't judge. I don't know what their platform's going to be. But my suspicion might be uh, that some of those ideas might be shunted to the backbench of a, of a new national government. But, hey, we'll wait and see. We don't know when the election is. We've only got months away though yeah yeah and 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 look i mean 
I think what we've seen from, you know, from, you know, as we usually do, as the politicians sort of talk a good game, mm. but how do, how does it actually play out if we're, we're keeping with gaming terms? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, 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 there's the actual score uh, on the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it does uh, does vary. So, yeah, definitely something we'll have to come back to. Now, um, another technology that uh, has been you know, pretty interesting lately, I guess the broad category, artificial intelligence and um you know, we've been we've been look we've been talking about Chat GPT mm. and being able to you know ask ask questions um, of OpenAI's tools and 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 you know really throw all sorts of uh, all sorts of things at that. Um, uh, there's been uh, Dali in terms of uh, generative um, AI when it comes to you know creating images, uh, and now Microsoft have unveiled um, Vali. Um, now I didn't actually prep Joe Allen on this, so I've, I've probably uh, we probably can't play, can't necessarily sort of play a um, a sample of it unless I I put the the mic. Um, anyone look it up? Just look cl- up Vali. Cl- close click to it. my laptop. You can get a sample of it yeah. if you just go. You'll you'll have it in two seconds if yeah. you look it up. V A double L dash E, and I I just I find this quite fascinating. So. What they've they've created is a scenario where you can take a very small voice print from you know from an individual, like three seconds. Like this is a tiny um, amount, and then you fire at what you want the the AI to say, and it it sounds like really realistic. Yeah, you were going through some samples before, and since I couldn't see your screen, I couldn't act, a couple I could tell, but 90 percent of the time I couldn't tell which one you were playing. And yeah, it's it's similar to a lot of the other sort of uh, synthetic media technologies coming online. It was only a matter of time before we reached voice. We'd, we'd had text, you know, we'd had images. This just was sort of the natural progression. Uh, I what fascinates me with that is a yes, how short the prompt you need to give it is. And there's a musical version as well where you feed it three seconds of music and it'll finish the song for you. Uh, the other thing that gets me with the voice element is that they can match inflection and emotion. So you can say, make it a little bit angrier, make it a little bit sadder, and it can understand those kind of emotive, uh, naturalistic speaking prompts. And it's not hard to see how all these technologies are going to intersect, right? So that's that's the big thing for me. I think when we look back on this these couple of years, I genuinely think synthetic media is going to be the thing that stands out as the tech innovation of these. That was mm. 2022 was the year that artificial intelligence synthetic media really started taking off when the robots actually started to speak. And, you know, there's always going to be kind of overwhelming and uh, silly headlines talking about, oh, the robot's going to displace everyone, rada, 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 rada. I think it's more that these tools are going to be able to do and kind of can now be minus work in essentially any job. Uh, in the creative field, they won't. They don't do A plus work now, but they can do B minus C plus. And a lot of people and a lot of money gets involved in producing B minus work, right? And when it can generate it at five seconds at a pop uh, and an essentially unlimited amount of content, just based on small prompts at no cost, that is going to be disruptive. And once we start seeing them intersect, like uh, once you have Dali, GBT3, and Vali and uh, associated technologies combined in one package, which is going to be inevitable. I think we're really not far away from a world where you'll log on to a website, it'll scrape your publicly available social data, and it will just generate you a suite of content. 
Like it, it'll be here. I know based on everything that you've clicked on in your lifetime online. Here's all the things you're interested in. Here's ten articles. Mm. They might not all be great, but they'll be interesting. They'll be serviceable. And as time goes, and all of these systems are so good at being trained to someone's specific interests, they're going to get better and better and better. And I think over the next five years, we're going to move from a world of kind of hyper curated content. You know algorithmic feeds, curating content based on business interests of social media platforms and tech giants to hyper bespoke media, right? You're going to have content that was made literally just for you. It wasn't found and created for you. Here's 10 articles that were written just for you, populated with art that it thinks that you like, yeah. and then we'll garnish it with some moving footage and maybe a song. Write you a song based on all of your interests. Music's actually one of the easiest things for AI to tackle. We think of it such a like a intrinsically human pursuit, but yeah. it's on a math, it's on a tonal scale. There's a lot of math to it. It's yeah. actually relatively easy for AI to generate a song. Yeah. Once that matches to your biometric data, yeah. Imagine just your watch going, and then your personal assistant, powered by ChatGPT three speaking to you, being like, hey, Paul, you seem a bit down today. I wrote you a song. Yeah. And it's psychologically, chemically, linguistic, just perfect, perfectly suited to you. Here, I wrote you a poem. I wrote you some articles that I think you'll like. Hyper-bespoke media just aimed directly at you. I think that's going to be amazing, but, you know, somewhat terrifying. Yeah, look, I, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's definitely always two sides to these yeah. these things, aren't there? And um, I mean, we've already had um, Google Assistant being able to do the uh, make a booking for you, right? Mm. We're like, hey, Google, you know, uh, make a booking for me at XYZ restaurant and it can pick up the phone and make the call mm -hmm. and, and do the booking mm -hmm. and, and, and so on and and be smart enough to uh, to do that. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are just an insane number of sort of possibilities for how this stuff gets used and in, in the years ahead and how we get our head around it and what legislation is needed and um it's yeah, so it's, much faster it's a huge than our ability I, I mean as always right it's the old yeah. story with tech yeah. that tech always outpaces regulation but i think it it's this is exponential curve now right if the next 5 years are going to be a lot faster developing than the previous five. And I mean, that's been true for the last sort of 15. But it does seem AI particularly is on this explosive growth curve. I know there's a there's a quote that always stuck in my head, the um, sociobiologist E.O. Wilson. He had this lovely line where he was like, the problem with everything is that we have paleolithic brains, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. And I was like, that's so true. Always like almost everything comes back to that. Like we've got lizard brains that aren't really good at dealing with complicated problems, really creaky old institutions that move really slowly to regulate anything. And just this unbelievably powerful tech that we keep improving on an exponential growth curve. Yeah. Our brains aren't getting any better. Our institutions aren't getting any faster. No. But the tech keeps getting faster. Yeah. Yeah. And then that feeds back into this kind of terrifying loop. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm talking from a futurist perspective, that's mm. kind of, you know, always that aspect mm. of, of, look, you know, my brain hasn't got any, you know, better over the last the last thirty years, but tech has, yes. and this is why we need to, you know, we need to be leveraging and using, you know, technology to to do good stuff for us. Mm. Of course, there's usually multiple perspectives, and and these things don't always end up, you know, um, you know, everything's not always on the on the positive um, side. So we've got to look for how we get those positive those positive outcomes. Now. Um, Moving on, because this is another another sort of rabbit hole yeah, yeah, um, area. We you know we we talked about uh, Tesla. Their share prices drop. We're sort of seeing this you know right across a, a you know a large number of companies where 
during during COVID, you know, we saw some pretty big oh, yeah. rises in 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 you know in stock values and and uh, and stock prices, and it's kind of you know it's come back in some cases a lot, in some cases a little, but quite quite broadly we kind of look around and and you know big brands whether it's the AWSs or Microsofts and so on mm-hmm. you know have gone up to some pretty big figures and then have you know really come come back a bit it, it does it does vary um, quite a bit what are your sort of you know thoughts and observations on on this because you you know you raised this with you know earlier as um, you know it's it's quite a fascinating, absolutely quite I, a fascinating absolutely. area, and 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 like, you know, I guess you know we need to lean into sort of you know, um, like you know, NZ Everyday Investor, our you know financial or investment show to kind of delve into some you know broader patterns and yes. and what the future holds. But you know, what have you picked up from uh, from this? Where are you where are you and your thought? thought processes on it. I mean, yeah, there's, there's so much there. Obviously, there's the macro story that the global economy isn't doing great, obviously. So there's a certain amount that you can strip away just just off that. If we're heading into a global recession, there no one's going to do great. But obviously, when you dig into the numbers, when you're looking at 60% drops for some tech, mm. Met is down 60%, uh, for example. I think Tesla was around the same for a while. I think the the companies that have done the worst were the one the worst now or the ones that were doing the best in the peak of the COVID pandemic. The stay at home economy sort of companies, yeah, uh, yeah. the Netflixes, for example, saw this titanic surge during COVID. So there is the the hangover effect of they were artificially inflated to heights that they re- realistically never should have been at. But the thing that underpins it is the raise in interest rates as well. As inflation started going wild because of stimulus money and various other factors, interest rates started rising for the first time in a long time. And a lot of these companies have never been particularly profitable. I mean, Twitter and and Netflix are the great examples, right? Because in a low interest rate environment, you get to sell dreams. As long as you add subscribers, you monetize later. And that's what they've been doing for a long time. And Silicon Valley is an expert in this. Sell dreams, sell dreams, sell dreams. Look how many users we've got. Look how many users you've got. Yeah, but where's the money? That comes later. That comes later. The moment the interest rate starts coming up, it's like, oh, crap. The the music's starting to stop. I'm going to have to start showing receipts for this. So I think the interest rate sort of underpins a lot of that. There's this idea that a guy called Derek Thompson had of the Atlantic of the millennial lifestyle subsidy, that there's a whole generation of people who have had their lifestyles subsidized by companies mainly in tech like Uber, like Netflix, like DoorDash and food delivery that have never really made huge amounts of money. Mm. But because of the low interest rate environment, have just been losing money and providing these great services and are now having to keep upping their prices. So all these millennials are like, suddenly all my bills are going up. And it's like, because your lifestyle's been subsidized by low interest rates for years. Yeah. Uh, And I think the other big story there is particularly when you look at things like Meta, the Silicon Valley model's basically been based on the surveillance capitalism model, which sounds really grand, but it's just, you know, as anyone listening to this has probably heard of that term, harvesting data more and more invasively to target ads more and more effectively. 
when the iPhone came out, Silicon Valley jumped on that, particularly all of the social media giants, just printed money off of that. It was, it was like they realized that we'd all been letting off like a precious resource and just been, it had been floating in the atmosphere and it's, they learned to mine it. But instead of oil, it was like personal data. Yeah. And, and then now they've, they've mined it all. They've, they've, they've gathered all the low-hanging fruit they can from that advertising model. And they need to figure out the next thing because governments are becoming increasingly suspicious of the surveillance capitalism model. You're seeing regulators start to step in. Just teens, uh, younger generations are moving away from social media models. They're starting to realize that it's a bit toxic for them. Players like TikTok have entered the market uh, and are hoovering up a lot of that market share. So I think that's why Zuckerberg's just setting billions of dollars on fire in a field trying to make the metaverse a thing because he knows that they're running on empty now. They're running on steam for that old model that kind of birthed this huge boom in tech, particularly yep. in that social media space. They need to invent the next big thing. They need a new iPhone, basically, and none of them have got one yet. I think a lot of people are betting it's going to be AI. It seems to be that's where the money's flowing and that's where the excitement is. Whoever, and it seems like OpenAI, Sam Altman, there's rumors, not confirmed, this is conjecture, but I think... Microsoft was looking at $10 billion investment into OpenAI. I think if, if I was going to put my money anywhere on what the next iPhone-level advancement is, it, it'll be the person that nails that perfect combination of synthetic media AI tools to give everyone their own personal AI Jarvis sort of figure yeah. uh, from Iron Man, which has been my fantasy for years, so I'm personally <laughs> excited about. But yeah. yes, of course, there's going to be some terrifying consequences that come, I imagine. Yeah, and look, I, yeah, I guess we look to our biggest uh, players, the Googles, or Alphabets, uh, Microsoft, Apple, AWS, the, these sorts of firms, they've got an incredible capability. They've got massive breadth and, and depth, and so how this whole area kind of, you know, plays out over the next few years, I think is going to be quite fascinating. And even even this is the sort of thing you can start to see, well, how it plays out over the next few weeks, mm -hmm. you know, is, is actually pretty interesting mm -hmm. in the next few few months. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think it, you know, picked it right as far as the, the role of, of artificial intelligence. It's, um, you know, it's a, it's a really, really big deal right now. And, um you know, we've certainly talked about GPT a little, a little bit on the New Zealand Tech Podcast, but anyone listening that hasn't gone and actually logged in and, and, and tried out some of these tools, then you absolutely must. It's um, so much fun. Like, if nothing else, it's so much fun. And that sounds so trite, but I think that does actually say something about new tech, right? Like there's some new tech that's kind of impressive, but you don't keep using. You're like, oh, that was nice. I tried that headset. I looked at a 3D TV. It was boring. It's not fun to use. ChatGPT3 yeah. just keeps getting more fun the more you use it. And the yeah. more being in dialogue with a machine is an experience that I've never had before. Like actually speaking to a machine and feeling like it's speaking back to me. And it made me realize that it's actually a better way of accessing information than Google is, which I imagine is why, again, you hear rumors that Google is kind of uh, pivoting a lot in some of its back-of-house R&D off the back of ChatGPT3. Yeah. Because Google, when I try and find information, it's got the world's information at their fingertips, but it's all on me to kind of sift through it. 
I have yeah. to find the right search term. I say, what What was the point of the, the the War of the Roses? Can someone explain it to me? Okay, here's 10 ads first, and then here's 50 articles. Sift through it yourself. Yeah. But with ChatGPT3, you've got access to the world's information, but it's like you've got your personal librarian or assistant. You say, hey, ChatGPT, could you, in 200 words, in real simple language, just explain what the point of the War of the Roses was? Oh, Finn, absolutely. Here you go. Here's perfect 200 words on that. Super simple. Oh, okay, that was actually a bit too complicated. And then you can literally just speak to it. Could you make that a little easier to understand? Talk to me like I'm an eight-year-old. Absolutely. Mm. And even one of the basic prompts that they prompt you with when you first start using it is explain quantum mechanics to a child. And I don't know if anyone's ever tried to explain quantum mechanics to a child, but it's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> Not yeah. saying that I could do it, <laughs> but it, it, it does an incredible yeah. job. Yeah. Even the most yeah. unbelievably complicated uh, concepts, digesting them and translating them or... What should I wear? Like I'm a I'm a I'm a male of a certain age. Here's my dimensions. Can you just give me some wardrobe suggestions? Absolutely. Here you go. Whereas with Google, you'd have to just navigate a thicket of ads, and you don't know what what to look at, and it takes away the friction out yeah. of using the internet. And yeah. I always like I can't remember who it was, but some investor had a great line where he was like, "If you're just, if you're trying to articulate uh, how to make an innovative product that people want to invest in, just think two words." What sucks? And he was like, if you can think of something that sucks and you solve for the thing then that sucks, it, you yeah. are going to get a huge amount of money. And I feel like they've realized what sucks about using the internet, Yeah, uh, which is it's this overflow of information. There's too much to navigate. There's mm. too much responsibility. It's choice paralysis. Whereas ChatGPT3 is like, I'm your little concierge. Like, here, I'm going to take all the hassle out of the internet. What do you need? I'll provide it for you. Yeah, it does It does have that challenge, you know, currently that, that we have with, with online in general of the results that we see not necessarily actually being, you know, true or oh, yes, real yes, yes. and, the, you know, the the biases and so on that you, that you get based on, you know, what's, what's popular out there online and all sorts of other, you know, factors that, you know, you, you can ask it a question, it comes back to you with an answer that's, that's just not, you know, it's not oh, yeah. it's not true, or it's sort of partly true, or you know. So the, the but but the you know these these are all things that we will see evolve, uh, you know, as the, as things move forward. So, yeah, I'm 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 really fascinated to uh, you know to see how some of those things get solved. To see, you know, how does the education sort of system deal with it? Mm-hmm. How do we deal with? Like overnight, we could easily just have a complete breakdown of how Google works, for instance, because Google is all around content and so on, right? So it's it's indexing and and giving you based on mm-hmm. the content that it finds. Well, if if tomorrow, um, you know, your your employer, Warner Brother Discovery decided somewhere, you know, somewhere in the world, like, hey, we want to dominate. Google search for, you know, I don't know, a hundred, a hundred areas, mm. and because they're a they're a big global player who rank highly naturally in, mm. in Google because of their their scale and so on. So their sites have a have a lot. It's like okay, well let's let's use AI to work out what are those top areas to dominate. Mm. Uh, we'll do that today, and we'll have a review, and we'll look over it, and then tomorrow what we'll do is we'll get these tools. To actually generate a whole lot of content on those on those things, yes. um, you know that's that's online. You know tomorrow, and oh, let's let's use the AI to work out how we need to 
add some SEO elements to really make sure. Yes, yes, um, exactly. And, you know, a week later, you know, you're you're starting, you know, to to rise up the rankings and so mm-hmm. on. You obviously, you know, the news organisation, you land in news searches. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the sort of thing that could change very quickly. And, of course, when we, when we add in these tools that can generate – uh, you know, voice. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's create a thousand podcasts. Uh, exactly. You know, a thousand new podcasts. Let's do it. And um, we're going to use uh, Finn's voice, and mm. we're going to use. Uh, we'll have Mike McRoberts, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, hosting these yes. these these uh, these bits of content in a in a virtual sense. I mean, these sort of things could happen very very quickly, I, right? I, like I, it's I, all there right now. And I think that. And you don't want to be alarmist about it, but when you look at the scale of content that can be produced and the speed and the frequency, just like you say, I think we're very, very close to a world where you can produce essentially infinite content at scale of increasing accuracy uh, and precision modeled around whatever you want. You can say, write me a thousand articles in the voice of Ezra Klein from Vox, for example. And I... Without, I don't want to overstate the case. Right now, ChatGPT three cannot do that. Uh, it, it once you get quite familiar with it, you do sort of start seeing the cracks and you see yeah. what it can't do yeah. well. Yeah. But ChatGPT four is coming online in six months. I mean, it's about ten x in every dimension, sort of larger as a model. And uh, I listened to the the Hard Fork uh, podcast from the the New York Times, which is a great tech mm. podcast, mm. and they said not many of us have had access to it, but everyone who has has said the same thing. It's like looking at the face of God, which is obviously a hyperbolic statement to make. But when you consider how far this conversation has moved just in the last six months, right? Or even a year, like if you spoke to me 12 months ago and we looked at the best possible AI-generated content, it was maybe two orders of magnitude less impressive than this is. And if this goes to an order's magnitude more impressive in the next 12 months from where we are today, yeah, we are going to be in that world where infinite content creation is available essentially to anyone. And the problem of the internet's always been there's too much content, there's too much information, we can't dissect between it. What happens when you can make content based on anyone, any organization, and it's indistinguishable from the real thing? It, yeah, the, the, the worry is... The issue we've had with the internet is just going to be dialed up to 11. Uh, and attack always outpaces defense in this area. So we don't have the tools to determine what is AI generated. To my not, they are working on it now, but particularly on the image front, uh, I know we don't want to go down a deep fake rabbit hole, but once you get pixel perfect video content that's synthetically generated, I don't know of, and the people I've spoken to don't really know of a way that you could tell if it was artificially generated or not, because you're dealing with the same fundamental information of the video. So yeah, uh, it's a scary, wonderful, fantastic new world we're entering, uh, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty more to speak about. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, a few other things we want to we want to chat about before we um, finish up. So um, one headline that um, that caught my attention was the. Um, FAA in the, in the US, uh, what are they, Federal Aviation Authority, yeah. um, basically grounding like an inc- insane number of uh, of flights because their, their tech went down basically. And mm. so 
you you know, I remember maybe this was as it was happening, looking at a map of the US, sort of comparing how many flights were in the air compared to what normally you know would be mm. at you know that particular time of day in the morning, and you know we're going going back to uh, to last week, and apparently. Uh, a damaged database file caused this yes. widespread outage, mega millions of of, of dollars of impact. You know, you can't yeah measure what the impact would have been on people's lives where they missed a flight and or the the flight didn't fly and it was their their last chance to see a loved one before oh, they pass yeah. away and you know all these sorts of scenarios. I don't know, it just sort of brought me back a little bit to earth. We got you know we got so used to things all running really well and really yes. consistently. You know, our our lives rely on on technology just being, you know, um, super super mm-hmm. robust and working. You know, we'll we'll turn up in a new city. We've got we've got nothing but our phone, right? You know, our phone's going to get us transport. It's mm-hmm. going to guide us how to walk part of the journey. It's got the list of who we're meeting with or who we're going to see. Or if it, that family scenario of you know what's the hospital, what's you know all the all mm. the dots, you know as as soon as these things stop now, yeah. it's like this you know flick a switch back to the back to the dark ages, and of course no none of us are probably that geared up for how to live oh yeah in a in a non tech world, and so yeah look I, I I just I find it fascinating, and I may have mentioned previously around you know, caught up with uh, someone while in my in my travels recently. Uh, who's working? He's 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 basically switched off the internet out of his mm. personal life, um, which I just you know causes my um, my mind to you know. I'm just, so to, impressed. Just, just but to, like, not for me personally. Just to like yeah. what? And yeah. Just trying to put those dots together. Of, you know what is what does that do for you and so on? But um, yeah, what a what a um, you know what a a, a, a full on thing to happen. But this could happen, you know, any any time. Um, on on any sort of scale, right? Because Absolutely. I mean, it does it, say something about the sagging infrastructure of the US, not in the way that most people often think of the bridges collapsing, but the digital infrastructure in, yep. in so many of these systems needs updating. If you ever want to be terrified, uh, look up some of the software systems which run some of the nuclear silos, and they're on floppy disks like this big. And there is a security concern around that because they're harder to hack, but eight some in, of them are just like... Eight-inch floppy disks. Eight-inch floppy Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's wild, some of the creaky infrastructure which runs incredibly important systems, both in the US and just, you know, globally. Uh, but I also think it's part of the broader story that the pandemic sort of highlighted, right, of how, as globalization has ramped up, we've just got these gossamer-thin strands of production lines and supply chains and travel and commerce that have all interconnected us so tightly and efficiently allowing us to just have quick efficient access to goods services products and everything that's what modern life is built off but as soon as you shake the system slightly like the 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 longer you stretch these things the cheaper things get but the more fragile they get right and i think that sort of shutdown of uh, aviation space in the US is like one small sample, or well, kind of an aftershock of what we've all sort of experienced over the last two years of, oh, this system that we've built is so fragile and we gave it this massive punch and we're slowly kind of rebuilding it, but we still don't know if we can put it together properly. And then, of course, that combines with the, the move 
back towards sort of protectionism that we're seeing from large economies. Uh, so yeah, there's a there's a, if anyone wants to be really scared, there's an amazing book called um, by Peter Zion called The End of the World Is Just the Beginning, uh, and his argument is that 2019 was the best year any of us will ever see in our lives because we peaked in terms of global trade and globalization, and it's all downhill from here. Which is a dark note to leave listeners on, but just in case we didn't scare you enough today, <laughs> I'd really recommend giving that one a read. Um, now, also on the aviation and the aerospace front, a couple of items. One that caught my attention was a USB battery pack halting a a flight from uh, Taiwan mm. to uh, Singapore. So a little USB power bank. Uh, I don't know how, how big or small it was, but... Uh, went up in, in flames on this uh, flight from uh, Taiwan. Um, I think probably before they they took off, um, if I remember uh, correctly. And so, uh, I guess we've heard around, and and some of us will have had it cause us an issue. Uh, you know, trying to check in batteries and so on, mm. and check in luggage, and and the rules there sometimes frustrating. We've you know we've heard about little trackers even being banned by some airlines and and the like. But this is the flip side, right? As these things can can actually combust. Oh, 100%. And, and so, look, there does need to be a balance. And, you know, I think sometimes we just need to hear these stories to to sort of, you know, balance up the the frustrations when when we find out that we left something in our luggage and and, and it's gone and it didn't uh, make it to the destination. The we're going to see a lot more of that. Only thing, sorry, I know, we're only, <laughs> yeah. but the only thing on the battery front is that we're going to we're electrifying everything currently as we move off fossil fuels, right? So we're about to have so many more batteries in every aspect of our lives, and when they go up, particularly electric car batteries, doesn't mm. happen often, but when it does, there's a lot of toxic chemicals in there. So yeah, yeah, I think battery fires are going to become an increasing part of our conversation as we electrify literally every aspect of our lives. Yeah. Now the other thing, now this is is probably not particularly new, but there is a uh, an entity in in China, uh, CAS Space, yeah. spin off of the Chinese Academy of of Sciences, CAS, that is uh, you know has been developing rockets for you know commercial satellite launches and and so on. And I came across this story, sort of highlighting and showing some of these rockets. Yes. And I was looking at them. I'm thinking. They look really familiar. Uh-huh. Uh, hold on, is this it's sort of basically, you know, taking SpaceX's designs, a little bit of Blue Origin there, but it just it looked like oh, they've just stolen everything that's that's been you know uh, designed elsewhere. I mean, and, what uh, yeah. good uh, artists kind of, imitate you know, great ones steal, right? Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's just, it, but there's some of that they were just just so uh, so blatant. Uh, that it was, yeah, just kind of, kind of blew blew my mind a, a little bit with, uh, yeah, with how how blatant uh, how blatant that was. So just you know, just yeah, fascinating. But th- you know, this this is what we expect. As you know, if somebody comes up with something good, yes. everyone else is looking, and we've certainly got this incredible. Um, uh, Situation going on, shall we say, particularly between you know the US and China trying to outmaneuver each other. Yes, uh, you know it certainly seems as though you know if there's got an IP invented somewhere that's going to be um, you know really important in the future, mm. uh, that there's 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 uh, there's at least one uh, you know one country uh, where a lot of money will be thrown at, at making sure that's uh, 
that's emulated and and competed with, uh, and yeah, it's I mean it's it's absolutely fascinating. So watching some of these things from uh, from a distance seems like the the the, the latest bits and pieces are uh, you know suggesting that the moves that the US have, have made to kind of keep in front from a, a microchip perspective are going reasonably well. But uh, but who knows if if China decides to invade. You know, well, Taiwan, it, right? How, I, how, do, how does yeah. that play out? Because that's where most U.S. chips are. What's really, no, what, today, I think right? the TSMC, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, produces like ninety percent of the world's hyper advanced semiconductors, right? And that's in everything. Like, mm. if anyone really wants to go down that rabbit hole, look up how much of your life depends on semiconductors, yeah. and it's literally everything. If you want to know why yeah. you couldn't get a PS5 for so long, it was semiconductors. If you want to know why yeah. you couldn't get those cars for such a long time, it was semiconductors. And I think there's about a six-month slack in the global supply chain of those semiconductors. And if that one factory in Taiwan goes down, things come to a screeching halt in so many industries, including mm. defense. So I think that's such. I think the semiconductor discussion is such a good example of how tech actually underpins so many news stories and global discussions we're having, even at that geopolitical level. Mm. Like, oh, the US doesn't care about the territorial integrity of China. They care about the semiconductors. Like, the, even no matter what they posture with, that's what's underpinning everything. They mm. don't want China to get that factory. I think you could make an argument that there's there's never been an industrial building that has more sway over global politics than that one does by by square footage, the most geopolitically important building on earth. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. and yeah, that's why they've put that all that money into chips now. But it takes ten years to build this kind of capacity. Yeah. And you know, and there are very few people that know how to make these things, and they're all in Taiwan, and that's why Taiwan <laughs> has them because they've made themselves indispensable. Uh, and that's why the U.S. is giving them such firm backing increasingly over time because everybody needs the semiconductors out of Taiwan. No one knows how, how to make them, and they've got at least 10 years before anyone else learns to. So, And, yeah. that, and that's been part of the, the benefit that the U.S. have had is when they've, you know, they've put in rules saying, hey, you know, American, Americans that are, that are in China that are doing this, hey, you – You've got to you've got to stop that right now. You're going to lose your citizenship mm-hmm. and so on. You know the pressure that they've 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 put in um, is is huge. So yeah, it's. I mean, I'm really curious to see how it uh, um, how how it plays out. Um, yeah, one of the charts I looked at was yeah putting putting uh, uh, TSMC yeah around sort of you know half of 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 the market um, you know from one one particular standpoint sort of. It does depend on on how you look at things, but certainly there's there's a lot going on in that space. But 100%. it moves very very slowly, as you say, because it takes so long mm. to sort of build a foundry and 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 to you know set up manufacture of of new chips takes time. And you know we've all seen the pain and, and discomfort of that. Uh, you know during COVID when totally. when things were when were shut down and and different, you know, chips and so on, uh, you know, were, were stopped uh, from a manufacturing standpoint and, and the flow on that that's had. Well, there's a lot we've covered. Um, <laughs> there's probably a lot more we could, yeah, we yeah. could cover if we had another hour or two. Um, but really been good to, uh, good to catch up, Finn. Thank oh, it's you. an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And like I say, it's really nice uh, having these kind of chats outside of the – you know, very truncated news format. You know what it's like. I'll yeah. call you being like, I've got a story for sex. You get in front of a camera in the next 30 minutes and only, you know, 30 seconds of our conversation will make it to air yeah, where it's really nice to actually be able to sort of, you know, dwell on some points and flesh them out. Yeah, no, it's, it's, been, it's been really good.
good. So, um, folks that are sort of wanting to, you know, follow a little bit more of of uh, of what you're doing, mm-hmm. what's the what's the main place to go and have? I a, mean, newshub.co.nz. Yeah. Um, if you just search me there, everything I do tends to end up there. I'm I'll be on the AM show relatively frequently. I'll just watch Newshub at six pm. Watch AM show. Watch Project. I'm just going to shill for TV three as a whole <laughs> right now. Uh, I am. Uh, I do. Follow my Twitter. I don't tweet very often, but uh, FM underscore Hogan on Twitter. I do lurk there, but usually I'm a silent observer, but occasionally yeah. you'll see me post there too. Yep, yep. Oh, good stuff. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening in. Um, and, of course, thank you to our, our show partners, uh, Vodafone, uh, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology for supporting the show. Uh, and, of course, we will be back again uh, with another show next week. If you've been watching the live stream, uh, then you know, fire up a podcast player and subscribe to the, the show, uh, be that Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you know, find one of those if, you, if you're new to the audio side. Um, of course, most of our listeners are, are on the audio side. Um, so if, if you're listening that way but you want to catch the show earlier, um, then you know, certainly follow me uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, but you can also find NZ Tech Podcast. Um, and myself across uh, Twitter and uh, and Facebook, uh, and also we have NZ Tech Podcast on YouTube. So um, those are the places for uh, for the video. All right, thanks everyone. Catch you next week. Thanks again, Finn. Cheers, mate. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.